Live from the 1964 World's Fair, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kev, and as always, I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. Hello. And no one else, and it's not a special episode. That feels, I feels like I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> I don't know what this is. I don't know who, who you are. Where are I say we? your name every week. I don't know who you are. <laughs> I, I feel the urge to introduce someone who isn't here. It's like the others. Like I, I want to introduce somebody, but there's nobody else to introduce. It's just us. It's just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. Me getting in that Austin Powers ref, baby. And, and not only is it an Austin Powers ref, but it is one of the chief links to our movie this week. Now, a couple <gasps> weeks ago, Mackenzie, you spun and you landed on Barry Sonnenfeld's Men in Black with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, who turned just the two of us and do a catchy rap song that later became a picture book and was parodied hilariously in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Also, Malcolm McNabb plays trumpet or whatever on it, but we'll get there at the end of the show. <laughs> and Stevie, old Spielberg, too. <laughs> That's right. Stevie Spiels, executive producer. Yep. The Shadow, this is one of the last, you know, uh, executive produced Steven Spielberg movies used to have a specific feel, a mm. wonder, a fun. Um, Amblin vibes, if you will. Amblin vibes, if you will. I think DreamWorks, if we really want to get into it, I think DreamWorks killed that. But we'll talk about that when we talk about Amistad on Austin. No, we're never we're never talking about Amistad. But you know what we should talk about? Yes. Mackenzie, you've had 18 weeks to come up with one movie that you've been watching of late. Oh my God. You know, I've talked about it a lot on, 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 uh, Criterion Connection as well. Like I just haven't been watching a lot of movies. I've not been in the oh mood to watch movies. No, but I, I, I'm telling you in the last week I've had a, I've had a journey. All right. But, uh, so like over those 18 weeks in which we have not shared what we've been watching, I haven't watched shit. So it's been kind of convenient <laughs> for me. Um, but I've decided the only way out of this rut is through it. So, um, at the end of the month, I will have the opportunity with Noir City, that's coming to Chicago to the Music yes. Box Theater to see Key Largo and theaters, which, as everybody knows, or some people probably know, stars my main man, Bogey Humphrey Bogart, and the love of his life, Lauren Bacall. Uh, and so I am so excited to see it. I'm nabbing my tickets this Friday. And I was like, I was thinking about Humphrey Bogart, <laughs> who was like, I think I would, I have to kind of say, is my favorite old Hollywood actor. Everyone knows I'm kind of on a Bogey journey. It's my total Arnold, if you will total sure. bogey um and i was thinking about how it's been a couple months since i've watched a bogart film and i was like i miss him weirdly like i miss watching him on screen and i miss watching movies with him in it and so i thought to myself well i'm not watching in order but i want to watch somewhat in order in the sense that i want to watch his later career stuff near the end of my journey and key largo is pretty late career bogart so i was like look the only way out is through i'm gonna start just going through these early like 60 minute studio pictures from WB that have Humphrey Bogart in them. And in the last like week and some change, I've watched nine Humphrey Bogart films, which is insane. Um, And there's not, they're not 
all great. I recommend if you're interested going to my letterbox to check out my reviews for them. I try, I've been trying to write more detailed reviews about these films since people know I'm on this journey. They're all pretty mid, but interesting. And Bogart's great in all of them. Uh, but there's two I want to highlight. One especially. The first one that I really enjoyed way more than I thought I would was a film that has a hilarious name called The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse, which I... <laughs> Yes. I mean, all the reviews on Letterboxd are exactly what you think they are. And the, I sent it to Ian, uh, our dear friend and my co-host on Crazy Green Connection, but I bought it on Apple and the preview just says The Amazing Dr. Clit, which is uh, hilarious. Uh, it stars Bogey and Edward G. Robinson and they're just kind of, it's like weird. It's like Edward G. Robinson is like this doctor who's like, I want to study the criminal mind, so I must become a criminal myself and study my own body movements. And so he infiltrates Bogart's like criminal empire and Bogart's like, who the fuck is this guy? And that's like the whole movie. Um, but they kind of sell it. It's super goofy. It's super weird, but uh, I love the way they go head to head. It's definitely my favorite like robinson bogart team up um where i feel like they both get a lot to do uh it's not great but i think if you like these actors and you are interested in 30s films i think it's fun uh but the one i really 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 want to recommend is a 1938 film called angels with dirty faces which i adored um bogart's not in it a ton though he is interesting he's this corrupt lawyer but really the the stars of the show are james cagney and pat o'brien and um i see a lot of people in the reviews on letterboxd comparing it to goodfellas which i think is interesting an interesting comparison but like i see where goodfellas like this is like the birth of the genre that would create goodfellas you know 60 some odd years later um because it is a really emotionally grounded and character driven gangster picture uh and i i bought the blu-ray from warner archive it's really hard to find but i recommend the blue it's a gorgeous transfer and it's like super cheap and they have a bonus feature that talks about like the Catholic church was up in arms about gangster pictures. And so this was sort of their response to it by giving it this sort of religious angle. But I do think it, um, it really grounds the work. It's about this, these two kids who grew up together, one of which got caught by the cops early on in their kind of escapades together. And the other one uh, went to school, went to reform school, reformed and became a priest. And now 20 years later, uh Cagney's out of jail and his friend is a priest and it's about these two men coming back into each other's lives and the stakes that that brings with Cagney still sort of living a life of crime and his friend desperately wanting to save him from that life of crime and so it's just a very emotionally grounded interesting gangster picture Cagney is brilliant in it I I was just like really impressed by this movie and I've been slogging through these 30s pictures 30s isn't my favorite era of film I love a lot of 40s movies 40s and 50s is where the films really start to get great to me. Um, but there's some great hidden gems in the 30s. And I do think that Angels with Dirty Faces is one of them. So very not like the typical vibe of an Austin Danger podcast, ADP Nash probably. But if you are like me and our dear friend Guti and you're interested in old Hollywood and want to check something out, I think it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting movie. And I really dug it. I gave it four and a half stars. I was teetering around but like i just loved the ending so much that i just bopped it up a half star and should also note it's directed by michael curtis who just a few years after this film would bring the world casablanca which is one of the greatest movies ever made so it's fine great directing it's just great i really enjoyed it yeah, it's uh, casablanca is like fine it's no <laughs> it's kid creole okay. but it's okay 
<laughs> he did direct Kid Creole. He directed like Mildred Pierce. I was on his freaking letterbox being like, what didn't this man direct? Honestly, at this point, like Michael Curtiz directed a hundred million films. And like so many of them are like the most famous films, you know, and like no one's heard of him. Like, he's a very underrated director. So, uh, but yeah, before I go, I guess I'll say if any Chicago ADP Nation people are listening and you want to hang out at Key Largo at the music box, I think it's August 28th. And if you want to come say hi to me, I will be there watching my man on the big screen. So I don't know. ADP Nation, come say hi. Woo. But Kev, you also had 18,000 weeks to watch a single movie or two or a couple. <laughs> tell me what you want to tell me. I want to know what you've been watching. That's not been Peewee or Barbenheimer or anything we've talked about on the show. Jesus, it's been a whirlwind of a summer, folks, uh, in in Kev's personal life. <laughs> yes. But, oh man, okay, so three big things. I'll move quickly. Number one, I've begun a journey I'm calling Be Italian. I don't know if I've talked about this on this show yet. Not yet, no, but tell me. But uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is coming up, which is like one of my most anticipated movies. Um, when I was getting into movies, which uh, you will hear all about on a future podcast to be announced, within the next couple of weeks. Um, the One of the big ones for me was The Aviator, which <laughs> is a three-hour movie about the life of Howard Hughes. It is a weird movie for a 13-year-old to want to see. It is an even <laughs> weirder movie for his father to take him to at 10 o'clock in the morning. But um, I remember a couple things about it, but that's when I really started to really fall in love with movies and kind of get it right. So Marty and I have always been kind of intertwined, whether I, I see his stuff in theater or not, I try to every time, but you know how it goes anyway. So now mm-hmm. uh, on the road to killers of the flower moon, I am going to be watching all of his films. I'm actually almost halfway. It's very <laughs> weird, but uh, I, I, I want to say if anyone else wants to do this, start at mean streets, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Mm. In fact, I would even say start at Alice doesn't live here anymore, which is an amazing discovery I made on this journey. This movie is incredible. That movie rips. Two little people have seen that movie and like, or like Scorsese hates women. And I'm like, go watch this freaking movie. And then you just missed it on criterion channel, plebes. That's on you. You had, you had your chance. (laughs) Ellen Burstyn is remarkable. I just love it. And then, you know, after Alice doesn't live here anymore, it's banger after banger, right? So you have uh, Taxi Driver. We'll talk about it next fall. Uh, New York, New York, misguided, messy, but you can see in there the gem. I just got it on Blu-ray. I got it in the mail today. I'm very excited to rewatch. You can um, see the potential in that movie, which is like, oh, yeah. but it's you still You can fun. see the David under the marble of it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, Raging Bull, which I prefer to Taxi Driver, speaks for itself. And uh, I just watched The King of Comedy, which may end up being still my favorite. (laughs) Um, It's a movie about people who daydream too much. And uh, we'll talk more about it again next fall. I don't know. What can I tell you? (laughs) Most of these movies also are on the wheel. So we could talk about any of these movies next week, for example. But... My next one is After Hours, which is one of my favorite first watches of the year. I'm really excited because I got the 4K. So I'll dig into the extras on that. That's very exciting. And uh, yeah, stay tuned to future episodes of Austin Danger Podcast, and I'll keep you posted on the progress. I expect to stall out after Goodfellas, but again, stay tuned. 
I'm <laughs> desperately trying to get Rachel to watch After Hours with me, so I hope I can. I can. This is the push that she needs. Yeah, I mean, if I were to recommend like a speed course, I would say Alice, Taxi, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, After Hours, Last Temptation, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, Departed, Hugo Wolf, Irishman. <laughs> but I don't know. I have maybe Cape Fear and Kundun have like the secret <laughs> keys to understanding Scorsese as an artist. And we don't know because Disney and the Chinese government have hidden Kundun from us for years. Didn't that Who get a say? bunch of like Oscars or nominations? I guess it got like only four nominations, but still, wow. If we ever do Kundun, it would be our least listened to episode of all time. Guaranteed. I just, I went to the Wiki, Wikia and I think this is very funny that in the, in the Kundun <laughs> section under, in popular culture, it says in the second episode of the Sopranos, Christopher Moltisanti sees Martin Scorsese outside of a club to whom he says, Marty Kundun, I liked it. <laughs> That's very funny. I love that the movie was such a flop that even Christopher is like, he, even looking at the guy is like, <laughs> I, I liked it. I liked it, Marty. So yeah, that's Be Italian. I'll keep you posted on that as we go throughout the summer and the fall on the road to the the movie, which is very, I'm so excited. Hopefully it stays. Um, you never know. We support the writer strike and the actor strike and every strike, postal worker strike, Amazon employee strike. We're union men here on Austin Danger Pod. We're just union men. We're just union men. But um, but yeah, you can come follow me on Letterboxd at uh, Kev. I'm just Kev. And uh, go into, I tag everything Be Italian. I'm keeping a list as well. So come hang out if you want. Uh, I want to give a shout out to dear friend of the show, Scott in Toronto. We went to the Museum of the Moving Image and we saw Christopher Nolan's Inception on a 70 millimeter print. <sighs> which was gorgeous. Great movie to watch with a crowd. One of the most coherent movies I've ever seen. Again, when we cover it on the show, we'll go into it. I, I just don't understand. I don't understand it. It's, it's all there for you. It's all there for you. Uh, and finally, I would like to discuss one of the best movies of the year. And if you haven't seen this movie or don't plan to because of maybe subject matter and approach and whatever, and maybe you're, you were a boy and it was a book for girls or whatever kept you away from, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Hmm. And I know who I, I saw the box office receipts, buddy. I know who you are. <laughs> and I was that person too. I rented this thing on a whim the other night because the hype had been like just red hot and I gave it five stars and it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Oh, I love that. So wild. Like it's a, a beautiful kind of tender. Like if, if you remember movies like, uh, I don't know, like James L. Brooks used to make in the eighties hmm. or even like Nora Ephron movies, stuff like that. Mm. Like not, it's not a romantic comedy, but it's like, the that warmth energy, and the yeah. humanity and the pain of, of growing up and discovering yourself. Like it's all in this film. So if you've been like, why don't they make movies? Like, I don't know. You've nah, it's not like you've got mail or something, right? 
But I understand what you mean by that energy. Like when I put on You've Got Mail and like I hear the cranberries beginning, I feel an immediate comfort when I see just like New York in the yeah. fall. Like it's yes, the comfort yes, yes. that a that a Nora Ephron film brings. I understand what you mean. It is a new comfort film and it's awesome. Like I hope it streams blanket. somewhere soon so that people don't get scared not to spend $6. But uh, yeah, I think it's eligible to be on the show. I hope so. I really want to check it out. I think I'd like it a lot. That would be a wild spin. <laughs> Ooh, shout out to the guess who. There's a wonderful <gasps> these eyes oh. uh, needle drop <laughs> when Rachel McAdams is on screen. I, I, I've committed all Rachel McAdams uh, frames to memory, but that's a whole other story. Speaking of Rachel McAdams being hot. <laughs> whoop news. What does it all mean, Basil? Austin News. It's been about 70 years since we've done Austin News. And as a result, I have a piping four stories for you tonight <gasps> from the world Excuse of Austin me. Powers and beyond. Excuse me. The top story. <laughs> the top story. There was a Beyonce concert in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And apparently uh, it was pushed off for two hours. They were rained out. There was like a severe weather warning. And mm-hmm. because of that, there was a worry that people couldn't get home on the train. And everybody knows after a stadium show, there is nothing worse than being on the train. Uh, Beyonce paid $100,000 to keep the DC Metro going so that people could uh, get home from the show. I saw that. Yeah. How great is that? Good job. The legacy of Austin Powers gold member lives on in Beyonce in this moment. She's killing it. I mean, this world tour seems amazing. All the clips I'm seeing are amazing. She's really showing up for communities um, and, and, and just representing people in really beautiful ways. Like Beyonce's killing it. I love it. Shout out to queen B. When are you coming on Austin pod? <laughs> Could you imagine the Beyonce interview? talking to us about gold member would be the most insane thing on well, she's earth. She's not going to talk about gold member. <laughs> what would she talk about? Who I haven't we? heard a new song by Beyonce since single ladies, which was <gasps> 10 years ago. You haven't heard the new, what the new album. What do I is... have to say? <laughs> the new album is very, very good. Congrats on the, on the diamond horse. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Congrats. Uh, moving on. Happy 90th birthday to Quincy Jones. There was a musical, oh. cel- musical celebration. <laughs> I don't know why I did it like that. Um, at the Hollywood bowl. Yeah, the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra played a bunch of his pieces, including Sol Bossa Nova, the theme song to Austin Powers. We love it. Next, Formula One. So I have a lot of hobbies. One of them is I quite enjoy Formula One. I have never in a million years expected that I would get an Austin Powers reference in my Formula One news. Lewis Hamilton quoted from Austin Powers Gold member to poke fun at how dominant Max Verstappen is in Formula One this season. And by the way, if you don't know, Max Verstappen right now, he's the driver for Red Bull. He is uh, probably the greatest living F1 driver. He is so good that if he gets first place next race, which they're in a summer break right now, so it would be the end of August. But if they, if they, if he, he wins again, I don't think he has to worry about anything for the next three months 
the season's over and he automatically wins. Mathematically, there's no way for anyone else to catch up with him, including his teammate who's in a distant second. Jeez Louise. Here's the article. Verstappen breezed to an eighth straight race win, at, so eight in a row Jeez. at the Belgian Grand Prix, one away from Sebastian Vettel's record of nine consecutive. Asked Sunday evening if Verstappen is having it too easy, Hamilton said, what do you want me to say? I, I haven't spoken to him. He's having a smoke and a pancake. <gasps> Hamilton quipped a joke from Michael Myers' character in the movie. Michael- Why did ESPN spell it out like that? Called it by his Christian name. They might as well put his middle name in there. He's having a smoke and a pancake. And I mean, he is fucking around with his uh, team <laughs> over the mic during the... He's in the car. Michael John Myers' film. <laughs> a Michael Myers picture. Mom. Oh, he's also has uh, the Order of Canada, which is the second highest honor of merit in Canada. So he's technically Michael John Myers OC. Ah. Uh, we got to get Sophie back on and figure out how to pronounce what to call him. <laughs> Is he Duke? Yeah, Sir he Michael Myers. That's all I got. But Mackenzie, I think you have a piece of Austin news. I did. I was just in the moment here, panically te- texting Rachel how to get past a paywall because the Telegraph UK posted an article that was behind a paywall that I I have leapt over. Don't worry, everyone. Called From High Noon to Austin Powers, What U.S. President's Favorite Films Say About Them. Uh, and it goes through a bunch of just weird things like Richard Nixon loved uh, what the fuck did he love hello dolly apparently uh jimmy carter loved fucking midnight cowboy and then if you scroll a little bit further whether or not the contemporary belief that george w bush was a little better than an idiot was entirely unfair or not he did himself a few favors by enthusiastically extolling the virtues of Mike Myers as Austin Powers' international man of mystery. It was reported that Bush was particularly taken with Myers' performance as the would-be megalomaniac Dr. Evil and would put his little finger into his mouth in front of delighted and surprised acolytes in imitation of the camp supervillain after... <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, I'm reading this in the moment, everyone. After 9-11 happened, however, it was out with British mock British. Wait, what? It was out with mock British drollery and in with aggressively serious war pictures. And then they go on to say that, I guess, after 9-11, he stopped liking Austin Powers and then liked Ridley Scott's Black Hawk Down. After watching the account of American soldiers being left behind in Mogadishu in 1993, he declared, quote, I would never do that. (laughs) And therefore led to that as a guiding principle in, oh God, Iraq and Afghanistan. And it must be said, he did not have entirely successful results. Did he now? Uh, Fucking Telegraph UK. They weren't successful results? The invasion of, okay. Um, so wow, this got bleak. Uh, but yeah, that's my news. It, again, it took a bleak turn, but that was the news. Jesus. All right. Well, speaking about talking about movies, it's time to talk about Men in Black. Wow! Look at us doing our episode. Look at us. No guests. We're freewheeling it, baby. And I'm free, Mackenzie. It is time. <laughs> Why don't you bring us into? The place I am sitting in right now. <gasps> Manhattan Island. <laughs> so 
It's the name of the island. I've never heard you say it that way. Manhattan. Oh, did you just love it when she was like, I'm on a different island? Did you love that? Because I feel like everybody thinks New York is one thing, but it's actually multiple things. God, there's nothing. And the snobbery, the interborough <laughs> snobbery. Oh. Anyway, we'll get into it. I'll but bring first, in. Mackenzie, you have to tell us what the movie's all about. So why don't we uh, get into the Shaguar and take a ride into the world of Men in Black. Agent K and Agent D are two men in black, meaning they are a part of a secret organization that is not only aware of extraterrestrial life on Earth, but they work to ensure the majority of people do not know of its existence in order to keep the peace amongst humans. They assist aliens in living fruitful lives on Earth, keep track of high-profile aliens, and erase the memories of humans who happen to interact with alien activity. One day, a hotshot cop named James Daryl Edwards III catches an unnaturally agile criminal with unusual eyelids who informs him that the world is ending before killing himself. Edward's interrogation about his wild claims is interrupted by Agent K, who sees his potential and asks him to join MIB. Meanwhile, an alien ship crashes in upstate New York and takes and the alien inside takes the body of a farmer named Edgar and begins wreaking havoc as he searches for something in New York City with Agent K and the newly minted Agent J on his tail. Unfortunately, however, they cannot prevent the deaths of two other aliens by bug alien Edgar's hands, and with its dying breath, one of the dead aliens reveals to the agents that, to prevent war, the galaxy is in Orion's belt. We eventually find out that one of the aliens that died is a prince of the Arquilian race whose death and subsequent retrieval of the universe of his cat Orion's collar will lead to the destruction of the Arquilian race by the hand of the Bugs, which is the alien race that Edgar belongs to. The Arquilians are now threatening to destroy Earth unless Men in Black can retrieve the galaxy from the Bug. The race to stop Edgar from escaping the planet with the galaxy is on and they race to the observation tower at the New York State Pavilion which is a flying saucer in disguise. The face-off at Flushing Meadows takes a new level when Edgar sheds his skin to reveal his full horrifying insectoid body. Eventually Kay is able to be swallowed up by the creature who earlier swallowed his gun in order to retrieve that gun and blow it up from the inside while Jay distracts it by killing its fellow bugs in order to keep it from leaving this planet. The galaxy is saved and Kay reveals to Jay that he was not training a partner but a replacement. They bid farewell and Jay neutralizes Kay so he can return, blissfully unaware of alien life, to his wife who he left 35 years ago and missed dearly. Now he is no longer a part of the men in black. That's right, never again. Never again. That's, you know, if there's no sequel to this film that they will completely unwrite that really lovely ending to. And uh, that's it. He's gone forever. I have not seen Put the second one. This. I just know that he's in the second one. And I'm like, why the fuck is he in the second one? Whatever. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But, Put a pin in this. <laughs> but Kev, do you have history with Men in Black? This is a movie my uncle talked about a lot. 
that this one particular time we went into New York City and uh, I had never seen it, so I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. I had the bug van and the bug in a uh, a space a UFO clasp thing as a toy. But again, no frame of reference for it. Uh, I saw the movie in college uh, as like an adult. It's like fun. Spoilers. (laughs) <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. I've come to enjoy it on a totally different level this time. Mm. But yeah, so I've never really been like a big Men in Black fan. But yeah, I've always kind of been aware of it. Mackenzie, you had never seen it, is that right? Yeah, I'd never seen it like in full. You know, I, I'd i seen bits and pieces, I think, of the first two on TV a lot. Like, I think they were just, they would just sometimes play on TBS or something and they would just... I would just see them like there's random bits and pieces I know of the films, but I never like sat to watch it. Um, but I was thinking about this a lot while I watched. I feel like this movie was everywhere when I was a kid. Like, I feel like I remember so much of Men in Black becoming very culturally relevant around this time when I was little. Like the idea of the, you know, the little things that neuralize your brain and the glasses were such a huge deal and the the kind of aesthetics. I feel like it was coming out around that same time as the matrix, right. Which was also kind of bringing in a kind of new aesthetic wave of, of cool glasses and black clothing. And so I feel like that was around that time. Um, but men in black, it was really funny. I texted you while I was watching it. Like I assumed this was like a kid friendly movie and it's, it is kid friendly, but it's kind of not also, uh, I assumed it was like a, a family action adventure because of the fact that I was so little and I was so aware of men in black. Like I'm sure I got toys too, and just kind of knew about it. I just think this film had a huge cultural splash, which I think is interesting. Um, so it's a movie that like, you can't help but be aware of if I think you were, you grew up around the same time you and I did, but I, yeah, I'd never really sat and actually watched it before. Um, and now I have. Yeah. It's one of those, one of those movies that no matter what the actual audience of the movie was, uh, they had a cartoon and they had Burger King toys and they had all sorts of stuff to tie in. Well, it's funny you say that because I was thinking that when I was watching the movie and maybe I, this feels too quick to move into the main story, but maybe it's because we, we were so used to having guests. But speaking a bit on the cast with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, I was really struck by uh, one. I think they have amazing chemistry. And I think they're both really, really good in this movie, but they mm-hmm. do feel like an interesting marriage of like generations, if that makes sense. Like I could see older people in this came out 97 or 99 when was this this is 97 97 i could see like you know people who were adults and parents and in 97 uh loving tommy lee jones from other films that he'd been in you know he's well into his career at this point really popular actor i could see people coming to that for this or coming to this for him and then you know will smith is like fresh off fresh prince music career is doing really really well he's like on this cusp of like becoming a movie star a bit because he you know he's had this these successes on tv and with music and they're putting him in films more and so i think he has the kind of appeal for younger audiences so i actually thought it was kind of a genius cast to put them together because not only not only do they work really well together and work really well in the roles but they they hit two different major audiences so i was thinking like i bet as I was watching, I was like, I bet that's a huge reason why it was so successful is because with these, with this cast, they were really able to kind of do a broad spectrum of an audience that they could grasp from this movie, I guess, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. We don't see that as much anymore. I don't think. Where are you going? Yo, Hey man, what the hell is all this? 
Back in the mid-1950s, the government started a little underfunded agency with the simple and laughable purpose of establishing contact with the race none of this planet. If you look directly at the end of this device, we'll administer the eye test. Everybody thought the agency was a joke, except the aliens who made contact March 2, 1961, outside New York. There were nine of us the first night. Seven agents, one astronomer, and one dumb kid who got lost on the wrong back road. Oh, you brought that tall man some flowers. This way. They were a group of intergalactic refugees. Wanted to use the Earth as an apolitical zone for creatures without a planet. Did you ever see the movie Casablanca? Same thing, except no Nazis. Oh. We agreed, and we concealed all the evidence of their landing. Uh-huh. So these are real flying saucers, and the World's Fair was just a cover-up for their landing. Why else would we hold it in Queens? More non-humans arrive every year, and they live among us in secret. Uh, look, I'm sorry, not to change the subject or anything, but when was the last time you had a CAT scan? About six months ago. It's company policy. Ryan, you should make another point. It's a wonder, too, to read on the wiki, for example. And again, this is just the wiki. But how much the studio wanted anybody but Will Smith in that role. Wow. Despite him being, like, at the perfect time to get the kids into the theater. Literally, yeah. Right? Like the studio wanted Chris O'Donnell, who we'll be talking about in future episodes, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Um, but Barry Sonnenfeld, Spielberg was like, take him to dinner and convince him to do the movie. But Sonnenfeld was like, I'm a bad director and this script stinks. <laughs> which is hilarious. The studio wanted David Schwimmer, which would have been a disaster against Tommy Lee Jones, who I love. David Schwimmer, come on the show. I love you. But that, that chemistry would have been a, a train wreck. Yeah. Oh, no. Awful. Who could say? I mean, Spielberg was the one who ultimately brought Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones together. It was his strength as a producer that brought them in. It's Sonnenfeld yeah. killed it. I mean, it's just smart casting because literally I'm looking up the timeline now and literally he's coming directly off of Fresh Prince, which was a huge hit and a very loved show still to this day. And then I looked up in 97 is when his first album would hit, which had getting jiggy with it and other, you know, really popular, hugely popular songs. And so like he really was, I do think the perfect cast for this younger audience. Uh, And I think he nails it here. Obviously people have weird feelings about him now. I think, in hindsight, I think the Academy was way too harsh on him. And I don't think we need to get into all of it again. Cause we already talked Stupid. about it. A bunch. Um, but he is a good actor and I think he's, he nails it here for me. I think he is the perfect cast and him and Tommy Lee's energy together is so great. Like the way that Tommy Lee plays this plays it straight so that will can be a bit more broad and they, they men, they meld together so wonderfully that like, I can see why people were like, Oh, we want, we, we want more of these. Because you just love watching them on screen together. They're really, really good together. Right. It's also especially worth noting Tommy Lee Jones is just coming off of his big iconic role in this period is not Two-Faced in Batman Forever as much as I want it to be. (laughs) But it's The Fugitive, which is uh, Mm. a story of a man who is dedicated to giving his life to playing it straight. It's all he knows. Right. If you watch that movie, and I highly recommend you do, it's a masterpiece. I just watched it recently because Escape Hatch did it. But like, man, like his dedication to doing his duty, whether his duty is correct or not, mm. is amazing. And it carries into here where like this, this character and a lesser actor would just be a pastiche, but he manages to find it here. He infuses a lot of heart into it. And, you know, we only get that single moment of him looking at the woman he left. And we don't even really know why we don't, we, we can infer, you know, 
he left in order to, to, to do this. We don't really get the backstory as to why he did that, why he chose this life over the woman he loves. Right. But we just know that he made the point of, yeah, there's no going back. Yeah. I had to give this up. She thinks I'm in a coma. And I think that that is like really lovely how he's able to infuse so much history and uh, love and heart into like very, like basically a single moment we get a backstory from him. Like I think that shows a talent as an actor and I was reading a lot too about how he was kind of frustrated he didn't get to play more broad comedy in this. And 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 Sonnenfeld as a director was like, no, you need to play it straight so that like the comedy plays. And I'm glad Sonnenfeld like pulled him back and kind of made him play it straight because it just it works perfectly, I think, for this role because he's so grounded and it just yeah, I think it he's just like I was like really weirdly impressed by Tommy Lee Jones in this movie in a way I wasn't expecting when I when I've turned it on. Oh yeah. I loved him in this, yeah. What'd you think of Rip Torn? <laughs> Why do I know him? Like I know that sounds very silly. Well, like I know the name Rip Torn, but I don't know what I've actually seen him in. I know you've never seen the Larry Sanders show. I have not. Is that your is that your Rip Torn impression? That show is awesome. Yeah, this is my Rip Torn. Oh my gosh. Let me see. I'm going to his filmography. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he's been in a shit ton of stuff. I'm so sorry for all Rip Torn. He's Louis the Fifteenth and Marie Antoinette. Oh, I did just watch that. Literally, yeah. He's Patches O'Houlihan in Dodgeball, a movie I've never seen. <gasps> I do know that character. Yes, <laughs> I've seen yeah. Dodgeball a hundred years ago because it would play on Comedy Central like every other hour. He's also the dad in Freddy Got Fingered, which <gasps> is a masterpiece. We will one day cover on the show. I'll do it alone if I have to. No, I would I, love to try it with that, you. That movie is genius. I mean, I haven't seen pretty much any movies he's been in other than like maybe one or two, but he's been in a shit ton of movies. Oh my God, he was in B movie. <laughs> there you go. He's in seven episodes of 30 Rock. Oh, I've seen that. I didn't even, I forgot about that. Yeah, this is what I mean, God, like what a career. He's been in a hundred million things. He's pretty I think he's really funny in this. I mean, he doesn't have like a ton to do, but like I think he's really fun. Yeah, you know, his role is stand around. <laughs> oh his my god. His role is to stand. He's uh he's hurt wait, he's in Hercules. He's Zeus and Hercules. That's where I know him That's from. That's right. That's right. There we go. There we go. Now we're making these connections. <laughs> I thought he was great. I mean yeah, I thought he was fun. I thought he was like, I, I like the moment when the little thingy is like blasting around the whole room and Will Smith is being very funny. They clearly just put a camera on him and they're like, just react to something. And he was doing all these very funny reactions. Uh, but I love the moment when Rip Torn just kind of moves his head very slightly to avoid it. Like he's used to this shit. Like <laughs> little moments like that were very funny. So, so that to me is the big hook of this mm. is I love the way that you know, there's a cliche about New Yorkers. A lot of people talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and they'll say, uh, what would it be like to live there where the world is going to end all the time? Mm. <laughs> and yeah. the thing that a lot of people feel like we're lying about, about New York, is that it really does feel like the world is going to end all the time. <laughs> Earlier this summer, the sky was on fire for days. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, and I mean, I know it happens in LA. Like, I don't want to hear about it. I get it. Thank you. But like, and it, it happened in Chicago as well. It did. I yeah. I mean, also, the world is ending just, just pretty much everywhere. Yeah. No. Right. But there's a certain rough, there's a calloused attitude to it here hmm. that we've only really seen on this show in Spider-Man two. Mm -hmm. He's just a kid, you know, like 
you mess with all of us, you mess with all of us. But that's really the the vibe of like, okay, what is it today? <laughs> well, and the fact that they are applying that to like essentially beat cops for an intergalactic gas station, which is what Earth kind of is. It's a refugee center and a gas station um, is really original, really fascinating, great humor. Uh, I'll, I'll foreshadow out future episodes here, but impossible to iterate on. Mm. Like it is just one of the really the smartest ideas one of the smartest ideas i don't know i just think it's brilliant it really makes me want to read the comic and just experience that world because it is a really interesting world the way that like i love immediately when um when tommy lee jones has to kill that alien in the beginning for attacking the human you see that regret in his eyes because he like they there it's not like aliens are these these monsters or these bad guys automatically i love this idea of like um they are people who deserve respect and deserve to immigrate to this earth and and live lives of dignity on this planet like i you know they obviously it's a heavy-handed metaphor in the beginning with with people immigrating from presumably mexico or somewhere like that Um, yes that's exactly right and but like i do think that's a lovely stance to take especially you know in the late 90s this idea of just like just because you don't understand somebody doesn't mean they don't deserve dignity and to, to, to live here alongside us in what is supposed to be the melting pot of the world. Right. And so, um, I love this. I, I, I like that. I like that when you go, when they go into the offices, it's like these aliens are just kind of chilling and they're like, and he knows all their names and like they, they account for everybody and there's only like about 1900, but they know where they all are and they keep track of everyone and they, they help people when they need help. And like, I, I like that idea of like the men in black aren't like there to kill or control the aliens. They're just there to help keep them safe and keep humans safe in their, you know, blissful uh, stupidity, I guess about the existence of aliens. Like they're just there to keep the peace. They're not there to make judgment calls or hurt or harm unless right. An alien is trying to harm the earth. Then sure. They got to step in. But like, I like that. It's not like, violence is their first option like it just seems like an interesting world and it does make me want to like read the comics and see what what else is that there in this world because it is a cool it is a very cool concept sonnenfeld called it the french connection with aliens <laughs> and he said it here because like i said we've seen everything well gosh you're talking about new york too there's something that I agree Spider-Man also does that like New York feels very lived in, in those films. Um, yes. and immediately I see Will Smith running through the streets of New York or some other city. Clearly it's a city. They clearly shot on location. And I immediately was like, God, remember when movies shot on location again, not to be an old man shaking his cloud, at the, you know, or fist at the cloud, but like, man, remember when movies shot on location and it felt like they were actually in New York City because they are on streets with other human beings that look messy and dirty and and real? Like, it's, there's just, it, I, I don't know. There's just something so particularly 90s about the way the world felt because in this film, because it feels real, it feels like they are in New York. It really does. And it seems like a lot of this was on location. So, like... Um, I just missed when movies did that. And I loved seeing a movie like this, that, that had that energy of like, they are actually there. Um, this is an important side note. Was Tony Shalhoub doing a Rudy Giuliani impression? <gasps> I don't know enough about Rudy Giuliani did to, you call- oh, good. to confirm. You should keep it that way. <laughs> also, I'm looking it up. They were, they did shoot in Manhattan, New York 
in New York City. Boom. No, Tony Shalhoub. Okay, I want to talk about Tony Shalhoub and Vincent D'Onofrio. Two men sure. in this film who look totally like transformed by the amazing makeup, which I assume we're going to talk about, which I think is a huge connection. Um, I think, right? Isn't it Rick Baker Studio? Uh, we'll find out later on Austin Ninja <laughs> Podcast. Well, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but the makeup, whoever did the makeup in this film uh, is brilliant work. The effects and the makeup is amazing, but Tony and Vincent look totally different than themselves. Like I was so impressed by the makeup and, um, Yes, I don't know. You'll you'll be have to be the one to confirm or deny to me whether or not that was a Rudy Giuliani impression. Ugh. All I have to say about that, but it made me sick. <laughs> Officer Eduardo, uptight. How did these get here? I thought I turned these into the proper authorities. <laughs> uh, the way I hear it, Jeebsy, you into something a little hotter than some stolen Rolexes. Well, I'm a huge crack dealer now, but I still work here because I love the hours. I'm talking about guns, smartass. Weird ones. Come on, Edward, what you see is what I got. Why don't you show him the imports, Jeeps? Hey, Kay, how are you? Showing the imports right now. I got out of that business a long time ago. Why do you lie to me, Jeeps? I hate it when you lie. Now just hold on a second. I'm gonna count to three. He'll do it, Jeeps. One. I'm telling you, that man does not look stable. Two. Wait, you know what? Talk to me. He, he is just crazy when he's like this. He's always crazy. Why don't you get a massage? Take a cruise. Three. Drop the weapon and put your hands on your head. I warned it. Drop the weapon! You warned it. Don't make me kill you. You insensitive prick. You have any idea how much that stings? Show us the merchandise. You're gonna lose another head, Jeeves. I I will say in the in the realm of direct connections, I didn't clock Vern Troyer at all. Where the fuck is he? He's alien son. Oh, what? What? Who is the alien son? What the fuck? Barely credited. I'm googling. If there's not even an image on here on Google Image. What are we even uh, doing? No, if you if you Google Vern Troyer Men in Black, <gasps> you get a photo of Alien Son. Oh my god! And it kind of makes sense now, folks. If you don't know, there's a scene in Men in Black headquarters where there's a, a mother alien and a, a child alien. The mother alien kind of looks like a slee stack from Land of the Lost, with a uh, open mouth. Kev, I need you to get your peepers on this close-up screenshot I just took. It's so tiny of Vern, like in the costume but without the headpiece on so it's just Vern's face and then like a little alien a little naked alien body i'm looking at it and i'm looking at the photo right now this is some shit this is what everyone needs to google this is a renaissance painting Vern troyer men in black that is wild i did not clock i mean how could we clock him he was just like in a suit but he was in a suit that is wild. Well, man. hey, we got to put these on Instagram. We do. It's like the birth of man. <laughs> we do. Oh my gosh. Well, again, like the costumes and makeup in this are amazing, and and Vincent D'Onofrio specifically won a completely horrifying performance and a brilliant one. Uh, the way he yeah. physically embodies this character in a way that, like, his commitment to the physicality of this creature is so amazing but i love the way the makeup like deteriorates it's like the body he is inside is actively decaying as he lives in it so the makeup kind of has this transformation through the film of becoming more and more like horrifying and grotesque like the makeup combined with his performance is just absolutely bonkers and terrifying the makeup the special effects like the practical effects you you can tell 
Now there's some there are some early CG in this movie, <laughs> right? Is, that yeah. tentacle that waves Will Smith around is classic or like mid '90s Star Wars special edition tier CG. Yes, but there's also so many practical effects. The robots in the morgue, the dude's face giving way to a little robot. Yeah, a little dying robot inside. Which I feel like is very, like, that picture of that little dying alien I feel like is used as a meme all the time now. Yeah, that's true. Especially in our circle. But it's but it's a great effect. I mean, it looks amazing, the thing. And, like, in the moment, it looks really, really good. The practical effects are definitely better than the CG. But the CG doesn't bother me too much. I mean, I thought the insect, uh, speaking of Vincent D'Onofrio, the, like, the full insect, I didn't think that looked too bad at all. Like, I thought that actually looked really good. That did look terrible. I did think like, are you talking about the final? The, the final, big yeah, 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 with the big eyes. That was stuff, all right. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. I was a little disappointed. I have to be honest it, because yeah. I thought it would be a little bigger of a deal than, like, there just wasn't a lot of build. Mm. It just seemed like, it seemed like a threat, but then they also kind of had it under control the whole time. So it was like, I mean, if it had gotten away, sorta, you know, then the world would have been destroyed. Sure. Tommy Lee Jones in its stomach uh, reminded me of Nope. Oh my God. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Yes. I was thinking the exact same thing. The pink, like fleshy, whatever, eating him up. I was like, did Jordan Peele rip that shot in Nope (laughs) off of Men in Black? Because that would be kind of (laughs) cool. I mean, I think it's goofy here. I think it's the second scariest thing in Nope. It's the horrifying thing. Yeah. And Nope, absolutely. But yeah. By a tarp. If you haven't seen the movie. It's, it's uh, like a very horrifying. Yeah. But yeah, basically the effects are good. I, I agree that maybe the big monster should have been bigger and scarier because there was this huge buildup to it, but didn't bother me too much in terms of like the artistry of the, of the, the CG. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's not like, it's not like it could have been any bigger because the whole point of the movie is the chemistry between the two leads and this mm-hmm. rock solid screenwriting school structured plot. Yes, it's very tight. So tight. It's like you you the the plot is there and it's super tight to guide them through and then Will Smith throws some improv in there. Maybe they hired somebody to doctor up some jokes and then that's the movie. Right? Yeah. Later on in the franchise, they'll try to go bigger and it blows up right in their faces and it's a huge disaster. But Oh no. No, I, you know, um what else went on did you clock uh danny elfman's score at all i the return of danny elfman you know honestly didn't notice the score See, this is one of those i didn't notice the score at all i noticed it at the beginning because the font is like identical to the adams family font and the score is that boom 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 which and i'm like did i accidentally put on the adams family like i was danny really elfman, confused elfman, until danny i elfman. saw the words men in black um so I did clock it at the beginning because it just felt like the beginning of the Adams family, which I was like, okay, Barry. Um, but I, you know, I'm, th- I'm thinking, it. what the fuck? You've never seen the Adams family. Never seen it. I am. Li- I My think. jaw is fucking dropped at this news. You've never seen that or Adams family values. I, I feel like oh, I've seen like half of it on TV. Pass out. Both of those are such movies I think you dig. I, I mean, obviously I fucking love them both. Uh, they're like two of my favorite movies ever. That is wild that you've never seen them. You are going to... Kev... They're the on day the wheel. that Kev sees Christopher Lloyd's Uncle Fester is going to be the greatest day of my life. 
God, we got to do them. I could get it today. Fuck, I hope we do. I got to rig the wheel. I'm just going to put like the Adams family 700 times and see if that, see if that, if that pushes <laughs> it in the right direction. Damn. Um, wow. Sorry. I uh, I don't know how I'm going to bounce back from that. But um, yes, it reminded me of the Adams family. But I don't think if I'm like really thinking, I don't think I really noticed the score throughout the film. Whoopsies. This is also a period where he just kind of vanishes into the background of it. Um. I like Danny Elfman. I like the Oompa Oompa. I like the Batman and Spider-Man scores. I think his theme, his theme from Avengers is so strong that it's the only theme anyone remembers from a movie in the 21st century. Think about that. Crazy, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think here he just kind of does the thing. Um, oh, do you want to talk about, talked about Tony Shalhoub, talked about Vincent D'Onofrio, talked about, I, um, there's one person we're leaving out on purpose. <laughs> There's a woman in this movie. Is that what you're talking There's about? There's a woman in this movie. I was going to talk about, I was going to make a joke and go to David Cross. And we'll oh, talk about him in Popcorn Notes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's not even in the movie for like two minutes. So um, yeah, there's almost a woman in this movie. <laughs> She says things like, I'm the woman and look at me. I'm scientist woman, the Christopher Nolan character, just like Jordan Peele stole Nope from the climax of this film maybe chris nolan stole scientist woman from men in black you ever think of that <laughs> what is what is linda fiorentino doing now what what happened to her i heard that the reason she didn't come back was that tommy lee jones was like it's me or her he <gasps> had such a bad time working with her they barely have scenes together what the fuck listen i just work here you know what i mean I realized after I wrote the synopsis, I didn't mention her once and I felt like really bad about it, but she, she, she's kind of a non, you know, I'm not really here to debate the feminist ethics of men in black from 1997. Um, but she's pretty like, I would say uniquely underdeveloped character, even for this time. Like she usually the woman trademark gets like something to do. Um, but she kind of is just there to kind of conveniently be there for the morgue, right? Like they need the morgue cause they need to see the bodies of the aliens and they need someone to be there for that. And by putting a woman in that role, they ha- one have a woman in the film and two, you know, Will Smith can do that bit where he hits on her and she's trying to point down and he thinks she's pointing at her vagina and he's like, oh, you move fast. Like, they have to have this weird vagina joke in the middle of the movie. Um, and, and here's the thing. I even held out hope that maybe in the finale she would be important because Vincent D'Onofrio takes her to the place of the finale. But she pretty much gets into a tree and we literally never see. <laughs> like, she's just not even there in the finale. So, yeah, I had hopes that she would have maybe a bit more to do. But she's really, really unmemorable. And I think Linda Fiorentino is, is decent in this. But, like... She has literally nothing to do. Sergeant Friday from the 26th Precinct. A uh, cat came in with a corpse the other day. Uh, Orion on the name tag. Yes, that's right. Right. Uh, well, this cat is a, uh, a witness in a murder case. I'm going to need to take him with me and ask him a few questions. Well, I don't know where the cat is right now. Oh, you don't? No, but maybe you can take me with you instead. <laughs> Damn, you do start fast, don't you? I'd really like to go with you. Now. Uh-huh. And uh, exactly why is that? There's something I need to show you. Mm, slow down, girl. You ain't got to hit the gas like that. 
No, you don't understand. You really need to see this. Oh, I will, I will. Oh, uh, one thing. I gotta drive. You know, it's not some macho trip. I'm what I'm saying. That's just the way I get down. Yeah, she's hanging out. She's hanging out. What can I add to that? Uh, but, you know, the, all this talk about Linda Fiorentino makes me think that it is time to go into popcorn notes. I think we're hitting the end, yeah. Um, one, I did see, you know, I, I wrote old Spiel, Spielby at the top uh, is why we're here. And I thought it was very fun, that moment of uh, kind of little cameos i guess where it was like people high profile celebrities who are actually aliens and steven spielberg being one of them it was like him george lucas sylvester stallone i think i think barry sonnenfeld put himself in there did you notice that that screen of like all those yeah i thought that was yeah i thought that was very very fun they they double down on that in men in black 2 in the worst way oh god oh (laughs) no Get it? Who do you think is an alien in 2002? That would be ba- really distasteful and bad. Brit. He cameos as himself. I've mentioned him earlier in this episode. Fuck. Fuck. Who, what, who is a celebrity who did far out things in the early 2000s? George what W. Bush? You think? No, Michael Jackson. Oh, oh I didn't hear you. I, didn't, I don't fucking know. I didn't hear you mention Michael Jackson. Um, I wrote the line, get your big butt back in the house. Cause what a weird line. Like a five-year-old wrote that line. <laughs> like that was just the weirdest line in the entire universe. Um, the body horror in this movie was crazy. But that moment when D'Onofrio oh, yeah. pulls his skin back reminded me of Burton a bit like that kind of, era of peewee and and uh we talked beetle about juice. it beetlejuice very yeah. beetlejuice very beetlejuicy and it was uh fucking horrifying i like beetlejuicy beetlejuicy <laughs> beetlejuicy um Ooh. i don't remember what the context of want to get down on this was but i wrote that was so funny and now i don't remember what that was about Oh, it was when he pulled the it was when he pulled the table over and he was like, Wanna get down on this? Like and all the guys were pissed right. off at him. Um the little girl in the training moment was really funny. That was a really great moment of him explaining why the little girl is the alien that he killed. Casablanca mentioned, speaking of Casablanca, they they mentioned the film. That's right. Earth is a Casablanca for the aliens. Yep. It's a neutral space for us all to come. And uh, I wrote the, these little fucking dudes referring to the little, the little, hey, man, aliens that are going to yeah. be super pervy and weird in the second one. That's like the one thing I know about this series is that they're yes. going to be little pervs in the second movie. Um, you get to meet them at the theme park ride. If you go to the, at Universal Studios, they what? have a theme park ride. What? And they've built the Men in Black headquarters. What? Like you go in thinking it's going to be some like World's Fair retrospective. And then it's a fake out and you're put in fake elevators. And then the queue, the line for the ride is a fully reconstructed men in black headquarters. I am. And it's pretty close. Viewing a video currently of a POV of someone riding it. And that is wild. The ride is like fine. I think it's aged pretty terribly because it's like a arcade shootout game. Yes. It's, but it's, all of the equipment is 25, 30 years old. It's, it looks like that kind of the Buzz Lightyear one at Disney where you kind of shoot the little aliens. Yes. The Buzz Lightyear ride, I believe was a reaction to this. This video is very dark. So it pretty much, you don't really see what's going on, but it seems very spooky and fun. 
the queue is again the queue where you're walking through the headquarters is very good i love it but anyway those little freaks are crazy those little freaky boys um (laughs) great uh i did write down lurch which i now know you don't fucking understand but the tall guy um who is the fireman i think Um, in twin peaks correct Yes, he's the giant. Yeah, he's a giant. It is happening happening again. again. He plays Lurch in the Addams Family, Barry Sonnenfeld films, and he is fucking amazing as Lurch. He's the only man on earth that could have played Lurch in the 90s, I think. Maybe ever. Like, I don't know. Like, he's the best guy to ever play Lurch. Um, So I love him. And yes, he is in Twin Peaks. And I just think he's great. I wanted to call him out. The Watch. I'm no Danny Haas, but the watch that the men in black wear that's like triangle shaped was cool as shit. Where can I get that watch? Let's see. Men in Black, Hamilton did a Men in Black International watch. Ugh, but is it, it is the in triangle one? Oh, it is. Okay, good. It is the triangle one. Oh, God. How much is it? The lowest one is, can you guess? I, w- I would like <gasps> you to guess. I just pulled it up on Amazon and it's $875. Oh, they're asking nine seventy five on the Hamilton website. So. <laughs> well, you, you can you can save a hundred bucks by going to Amazon. Um, wow, not gonna buy that, but it's a cool watch. I don't really notice watches in films, but that was very cool. Um, I wrote that sweet little kitty. Loved little Orion. I have, as an orange kitty owner myself, I love seeing little orange kitties. I did write below mm-hmm. that morgue lady hot. Love how I respected her just as much as this film did in my notes. Um, once again, Mackenzie Wilkes. More lady hot. Famously hates women. That tentacle baby is cute, yeah, but also Kit Fisto Jr. Oh, that is what he looks like. That does look like a baby Kit Fisto. I was like, why does this baby look familiar? It's Kit Fisto. Some would say the Last Jedi. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that whole sequence is a horror show for me personally, but yeah, that tentacle baby it's, it just rides that line of like the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And also very cute. Um, I wrote that the tiny gun joke reminded me of Austin powers. I had to call that out. A lot yes. of all, tiny gun jokes around this time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you've seen Rocky horror picture show, right? Nope. What the fuck? Oh my God. My whole sense of self is crumbling in this podcast episode. Well, there's Richard. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> we'll watch all these movies tonight. No, um, the guy that's next to Doug the Pug uh, looks like Riff Raff from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I just wrote, every random fucker in this movie is so terrifying. Who is this motherfucker that looks like Riff Raff? Is something I wrote in my nose. Um, so just wanted to call that out for people who have seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and then there was just a chunk of time I stopped taking notes because I was just vibing. You, you get to that point with an action adventure comedy from the 90s where you're just kind of vibing into the end and uh the last thing i wrote was just inside the stomach no fucking way uh and then yeah i I expressed a lot of confusion in my notes about how the fuck they're gonna bring tommy lee jones back for a sequel after they gave him such a tight ending Um, but i guess i will learn that when we talk about that film one day Uh, but until then kev give me your popcorn notes you know what i love that we didn't talk about the training sequence is really funny but then the scene afterward where they pull him out and then they rip torn and Tommy Lee Jones are talking and it's clear that Tommy Lee Jones believes in this kid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way that he would never admit in the goings of it. Cause that's the whole point. Yeah. And I loved seeing that tenderness again, like just great structure giving you exactly what you wanted 
right when you want it. Frank the Pug, we didn't talk about Frank the Pug, would go on to be quite a legend. In uh, in Men in Black 2, he will sing, I Will Survive, <gasps> and it will become the entire crutch of the entire marketing campaign. That summer, you could not escape a half hour of TV without seeing it twice. I did remember the so, pug. I like when he showed up, I was like, Oh, I remember him being like a big deal when I was a kid. So I did, I did recognize right. him. Also apologies for calling him Doug the pug earlier. I think that is an internet sensation animal, uh, in the, the currently existing possibly, um, Frank the pug. I got to respect him, put some respect on that name. Yeah. Not to be confused with, of course, Nashville's own Doug the pug. <laughs> Um, shout out to the official return of David Cross to Austin Danger Podcast. Has it really been since Small Soldiers? I think potentially. I was literally thinking like when the fuck was he on before? But yeah, it's probably since I don't think I remember him being in another film since then, which Small Soldiers. I've been seeing our friends log in that movie more recently. What a banger of a movie. We told you. We told you. We told ten you. banger over here. Oh, but that's really it for, for that's really it for my popcorn notes. I think we pretty much covered everything I would ever want to say about Men in Black, which is not an indictment, but you'll hear that in a moment in my final thoughts. But first, Mackenzie, please your first watch, final thoughts, and star rating. Yeah, I mean, I was really fluctuating on this one. I've been also just in a place of questioning my ratings in general as I've been rating, especially these bogey films of like the minute differences in the ratings I give them. So. I'm in a place of questioning my own ratings. Um, but yeah, I think this movie is so well done. I think it's super fun. I think it obviously has its issues in the way like there could have been a woman that had something to do or like there, you know, it's also just, it, it's, I don't know. It's not a perfect movie by any means, but it is like so deeply enjoyable. The performances in it are super committed and super fun and super great. It makes me want to live in this world more. I would have loved a world in which there was a like monster of the week series about men in black. Like I, like what, like, you know, I mean, I know the X files existed, but like I could have seen a, a monster of the week series of men in black, which maybe the animated series was, you know? Um, but like, it, I think it was, yeah. I'll have to check it out. Cause like, I, I want to live in this world more. It seems really, really fucking fun. I was teetering a bit. I thought I was going to go four cause I liked it a lot, but I think I'm going to go three and a half with a big fat heart instead. Cause that feels a bit more appropriate for it. I think, I do think that it is like a very good action adventure comedy from the nineties. And I, absolutely see why it blew up i see all the reasons why people loved it and wanted more um and even though i know the sequels will probably suck i'm excited to watch them so i'm gonna go three and a half with a big fat heart and you know for me uh just the structure of it i can't not give it four stars i think it's one of the most like rock solid four star movies maybe ever it's really fortunately uh, again, the the woman, uh, they wrote her a promise they didn't keep. <laughs> no. And as we'll learn as we cover other Sony movies in the 21st century, it's because they're kind of stupid and don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story for another time. And uh, yeah, I can't deny the structure of this movie. It's just really well done and well put together. And you know exactly what you're doing down to a cat being saved. But... I don't know. I just can't help but have a blast. Are we ready to do our little show? Let's do our little show. Let's do it. I I love gold. gold. At the 1998 Academy Awards, Men in Black. What? One. (gasps) 
the Academy Award for Best Makeup, Rick Baker and David Leroy Anderson. Nice. I don't think Rick Baker worked on Austin Powers, although we do have some connections that we'll get into in our next segment, for the record. Uh, Danny Elfman nominated for Best Music, Original Musical or Comedy Score. Wild that the Oscars used to break it up like that, especially now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Also, Bo Welch, the director of The Cat in the Hat, (gasps) was nominated for Best Art Direction. And Cheryl Krasick was also nominated for Best Set Decoration. The legend Bo Welch. The legend Bo Welch. The ledge. Like, what a life. Wow. Production designer of Edward Scissorhands. Wow. Wild Wild West. The man, the birdcage, returning from the Mm -hmm, birdcage as well. mm -hmm. Also production designer on Men in Black 2 and 3. Nice. At the Golden Globes, Men in Black was nominated for Best Motion Picture Comedy or Musical. As we all know, Best Picture Comedy or Musical is where genre also lives. Uh, Although Men in Black is very funny, to be sure and to be fair. Yeah. At the MTV Movie and TV Awards, Men in Black was nominated for Best Movie. Will Smith won Best Movie Song for Men in Black and Best Fight for the fight between Will Smith and the giant cockroach. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones were also nominated for Best On-Screen Duno. Duo. Duno. <laughs> Duno. Duno. And uh, Will Smith for Best Comedic Performance. So nice. uh, pretty good showing there. Danny Elfman nominated for a Grammy for this film for Best Score. Wow. And he won the BMI Film Music Award in 1998, which I assume covers more than one score. Nice. At the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, one of my favorite awards to call out on the show, Will Smith won Favorite Actor, and Men in Black won Favorite Soundtrack. Also nominated Tommy Lee Jones, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Linda Fiorentino as woman. So good job, woman. (laughs) As woman. Um, The last one I think I'll talk about tonight Oh, at the VMAs, Men in Black won Best Video from a Film. What? Oh, like the music video. I was like, what are you talking about? It is a film. (laughs) And And finally, (laughs) at the Kids' Choice Awards, uh, Will Smith won Favorite Movie Actor and probably was slimed. And uh, the movie won Best... uh, The movie was nominated for Favorite Movie in 98 and then probably lost to like... uh, Fart and Gary does it again. Excuse me? Fart and Gary does it again? Oh, no. It was Titanic. (laughs) Excuse me. Well, Sorry, Fart and Gary. Better luck next time. So I got to ask, is Fart and Gary does it again? Is that a sequel because he's doing it again? Or is this the first film in the Fart and Gary franchise? He does it again. Fart and Gary is also a Mr. Show reference. So shout out to Mr. Show. Oh, okay. I thought this was just... show up whenever... (laughs) The Kids' Choice Awards show. I thought this was just who knows what kids like. Birthed from your brain. I was going to be very impressed. No, not quite. All right, that's I Love Gold. Moving on to the Alan Parsons Project. Oh, you know Malcolm McNabb was involved. Baby. Oh, by the way, for new listeners, the uh, Alan Parsons Project is a segment every week where we tie our movie of the week into the Austin Powers trilogy. Usually can't go one week without talking about the trumpeter Malcolm McNabb or the flautist Luis de Tullio both of whom worked on this film. Icons. Also, Debbie Datz-Pyle from the music department. Also worked on Independence Day, the late Debbie Datz-Pyle. Also, Patty Zimitti, who we've talked about before. A lot of returning people. Uh, Vern Troyer and Will Smith, as discussed, obviously appear in the movie. Will Smith, I think, gets a credit for just the two of us, like I said. Oh, I was about to say, um, where the hell is Will in fucking Austin Powers? There you go. 
Um, there are so many connections. It is exhausting to even look at this list. <laughs> um, I do want to flag, obviously, executive producers uh, Stevie Spiels. Stevie Spiels. Danny DeVito appears uncredited, apparently, as a voice off screen. Ex- fucking excuse me? The legendary makeup designer Greg Nicotero. Uh, Keith Campbell, who we've talked about before on this show. Howard Berger also returns. George Daring also returns, who will give us the Batman one day. Oh, also, I want to confirm Danny DeVito is one of the uh, f- he, uh, celebrities who is an alien in Men in Black. So he has seen on screen in that moment. Oh, apparently. OK, that makes a lot more. That makes a bit more sense. Well, thank you for your service, Danny. And I will say when I Google image searched it, I did see the image of Michael Jackson in Men in Black 2. And I am I am haunted for the rest of my days. Yeah, it seemed uh, weird then. It seemed weird and tasteless then. So, so <laughs> excited Christ. for that. There you are. You're over there. Uh, we have no official use over there, but you've been begging, maybe. I don't know. And we've been promising to share your reviews on the pod. And now that it's just the two of us, as we've said, uh, we're going to share some of you some, and I. You and I. We're going to share some reviews that you've logged of films that we have covered on this podcast. Uh, yeah. So, first, I want to highlight Grugrex Dave gave a five star review to Pee Wee's Big Adventure and said, with the news hitting me like a ton of bricks, had to laugh a little. One of my most watched childhood films, a core part of my being, humor and a character whose joy and weirdness was everything I hoped the adult real world would be. Thanks for keeping the hope alive, Paul. Which is just a a lovely review. That's lovely. Uh, Elsewhere, Jay Sure, our buddy from Podzilla, gives Strictly Ballroom five stars and writes, if you told me Fran was played by a young Rebecca Ferguson... I'd believe you. She does favor her. Like they could be related. I would believe that in in another world. It's true. Kyle watched Dudley do right and gave it one and a half stars said, get me out of here. 100% exposition. (laughs) 100% exposition. Not funny. A lot of culturally offensive stuff happening here without any real punchlines. What was everyone thinking? Brendan Fraser is so wooden and unfunny here. Holy shit. Is that Alfred Molina? It is indeed. Sadly, it is <laughs> Alfred Molina. Read that. I was hoping you'd read that. <laughs> uh, finally, tonight, one and a half stars from Black Adam from our dear friend Elena, who writes, was not expecting the world is a vampire. <laughs> Needle drop after the worst exposition dump I've seen in a minute. Oh. Warcraft 2 ass looking cutscene movie. <laughs> that is literally it. People, well, we're going to probably read some more over the next couple weeks, but man, did people dump all over Black We Adam. got, I think Black like, Why did you even watch Black it? Black Adam was, I think, the <laughs> most people have tagged us in reviews, which was wild. Uh, and if you would like to tag your reviews for us to share on the show, you can tag them with Austin Danger Podcast, Austin Danger Pod. We'll share some of them like we just did. And if anything, we will absolutely like them and highlight them on our HQ page. And we see all of them and we love all of them um, because it's just really nice to know you guys are engaging with the movies you're watching and that you're watching along with us. Uh, and it feels really good to see. And thank you for just shouting us out on your letterbox site. We all love. Um, but as always, 
other than tagging your reviews with the films you watch along with us, the best way to have your voice be heard is to email us directly at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com with your letters and voicemails that we will share on the show. Guaranteed every single week we will share them. And uh, yeah, you can talk about Men in Black. You can talk about Black Adam. You can talk about anything we've watched before or whatever we're watching next week, which Kev is about to roll for. Wow, it feels like the early days again. We got done with a normal episode and we're going to another normal episode. I'm not used to it. This is very weird. (laughs) Usually the wheel spins, you got to wait six weeks. (laughs) Well, Kev, are you ready to spin that wheel for me? Ready as I'll ever be, I guess. (laughs) Spin that wheel. Interesting choice. Interesting choice. Interesting choice. Interesting choice for us Mm, right now. Okay. Given what we've watched this year. I'm scared. I am going to read the Criterion (gasps) Channel description of this film. I just choked on water hearing you say Criterion. Um, The movie is on the Criterion Channel through the end of the month. It's one of my favorite movies. Kind of, it's a recent first watch for me. Uh, not from this year, but I love it very much. What? I'm just going to read the description and then I'm going to read the title. Okay. And then we can save all the reaction and the shock for after I'm done reading. This. I'm freaking out already. You ready? I've, I am on the edge of my seat quite literally. This is going to be an interesting. Okay. An unrealized Stanley Kubrick dream project brought to the screen by oh, Steven Spielberg. My g- this haunting science fiction fairy tale has taken its place as one of the greatest movies of the 21st century. In a future ravaged by climate change, a robotic boy named David, played by Haley Joel Osment, aided by an android gigolo, played by Jude Law, and a talking teddy bear, travels to the end of the world, an underwater Manhattan, in a quest to become real and win back the love of the human mother who abandoned him. Kubrick's cerebral precision and Spielberg's heart-tugging humanism fuse in perfect harmony in next week's episode of Austin Danger Podcast, AI, Artificial Intelligence. My jaw is on the floor. I took a real good (laughs) screenshot of that. Put that in the chat. Put that in the chat. Put that in the VHS Village. That is insane that you got that oh my god we've talked a lot about manhattan we've talked a lot about Haley joel osmond we've talked a lot about steven Spielberg. spielberg it's the right place at the right time on the right show. I've been wanting to set the the time aside to watch this because I know it's on the channel and I know it's like a lot of like for people it's like a sleeper fave for Spielberg and so I've been like really wanting to watch this so I've never seen it I'm I'm nervous. I'm excited. And yeah, everyone, you could check it out on the Criterion Channel if you're watching, if you're listening to this podcast in August 2023, if you're listening to it any other time, then, then it's probably not on the channel anymore. But wow. I just want to bring everybody up to speed with my Letterboxd review. Uh, oh, I guess it was from fo- longer ago than I thought. On October 10th, 2020, I gave AI artificial intelligence five stars. Whoa. And uh, this was this was on my road that led me to 70 millimeter because I was watching the blank check movies. Wow. My review reads eight words. It's eight words long. What in God's name is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we're going to fucking find out next week on Austin Danger Podcast. That's right. Next week, we return to Steven Spielberg 
and we flirt a little bit with the cubes, Stanley Kubrick, with AI artificial intelligence. Haley Joel Osment, come on Austin Danger Podcast after the strike and tell us all about it. But in the meantime, for Mackenzie, this is Kev. Austin Danger Podcast, peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening.